Would you grab your Bibles, turn to Romans 15. We're going to read 1 through 7. All right, Romans 15, 1 through 7. So we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Well, today begins our 15th anniversary message, and I'll be honest, it was initially a little bit nerve-wracking to think about how do you take 15 years and kind of talk about it. And uh, I I, I originally typed 45-minute sermon, but I've never given a 45-minute sermon, and so uh, I didn't change it to 60 minutes, but anyway, um, it's a bit uh, unfair for someone like me to try to put this down, but I think hopefully this morning um, we'll be able to reflect back on some really important things uh, from our history as well as just um, moving forward. When I think about the name LifePoint, um, it's hard for me to put that word um, completely into a bunch of words, but I'm going to try my best today to kind of frame this for us so that we can see what God has been doing and what God is going to continue to do um, in the days ahead. You know, regarding a reading of the New Testament, with just a few exceptions, the reader will find that it was primarily not written to individuals, but it was written to people, individuals who had gathered together as churches and were worshiping together. And I believe the New Testament makes that clear that God's people do gather together, they do life together, they don't do it separate from one another. And so regardless of current trends, choices, stats... Um, The biblical definition of church remains the same. It means called out ones, and we are that. We are people who have been called out by God. We are in relationship with Him, and and He has uniquely saved us, and He has gathered us together to walk through life in a church. And so I want to thank you for being here today um, as we celebrate this and just reflect on some important things together. I hope you're, are you glad you're here today? Hopefully, yes. Okay. I hope you are. All right. So outside of our immediate family, which is to be a setting where we first begin to learn about Christ, the next place that we really begin to learn about who Christ is and how do we relate with one another is our church family. Sometimes you hear people give a testimony and they'll say, well, I've, I've been at church since I was born. And what they mean is two weeks, six weeks, eight weeks in, they started going to the nursery. They've been a part of that for uh, most of their lives. And at some particular point in time, salvation came and they have been connected to the church. And I believe that it's one of the greatest places to be a part of. There's not ever a perfect church. Um, if you've been around here a while... Um, 
you could say amen to this. This is not a perfect church. And the reason it's not a perfect church is look at the person to the left and right of you. They're not perfect. Look at the person up here. He is definitely not perfect. But I believe that there are three unique groups that mold and shape our spiritual lives. The first one is, yes, our immediate family, either by blood or by adoption, where love and protection and guidance and support are given. Secondly, that is the local church family that is united through faith and belief in the Scripture, um, salvation in Christ. And it adds another layer of support and accountability and love for one another. And I believe there's a third one, and it's connected with our calling to be a part of the global church and connected with the Great Commission. Um, as a missional church, we have been that for a long time, and many of us have gone on trips, and we've gone locally, we've gone nationally, and then some of us have gone globally. And so we are actually a part of something that happened yesterday and today based on time differences and when people meet that also shapes us. That there's a people of God who gather all over the world and some of us are connected with them. Some of us support missionaries in foreign countries. And so there's, there's this immediate family, blood and adoption that makes us local church family, global church family that has an incredible significant influence um, upon our lives. And so I want to tell just a little bit today of some of the history of LifePoint, some of the things that have happened and taken place, um, because whether you've been here a long time or you've been here just a brief bit, all of these stories make up our lives. Just as our families, we talk about stories from the past, and those events in the past shape who we are today. There are events in a life of a church that shapes who the church is. So in late August of 2003, I got on a plane and flew to Frankfurt, Germany, where I was to speak at a youth camp there in a city called Andernach on the Rhine River. My grandfather had been a tank commander in World War II. Um, He was actually literally shot out of his tank. He laid in a ditch for three days before some some American forces and troops came by and found him there, and they, they were able to get him uh, to some place to where he was get medical attention. And so he used to tell all kinds of stories about his time there. And so I had always wanted to go. So when this opportunity came for me to go to speak at this youth camp in, in Germany, I jumped at the chance. And so when I got to Andernach, some of the believers there said, um, there's a story that goes back as far as the people in Andernach could tell and or have been telling the story. And they say that when the Apostle Paul was on his way to Spain that he stopped in our city at the wall and he prayed here and he met with some of the people and shared the gospel there. Now, whether or not that happened, I have no idea, but I just believed it. They told me it and I believed it. And I went down to that gate and I thought, first time ever as an adult standing somewhere where maybe a biblical character was there and it was an incredibly impactful moment. So I got on a plane and flew back first week of September And on the plane, it was really clear to me that God was saying, your family is going to leave the church that we had started in southwest Fort Worth, and we were going to move to Germany and invest our lives there. So um, I began to try to find out, how do do you get to Germany? How How do you become a missionary there? And so I began to contact a number of different people. And so I was told, well, this is not going to happen through this organization. And I just began to pray and ask God, would he open a door 
And so that, ha- that was so I arrived back in September of 2003. In June of 2004, we were living in Dusseldorf, Germany, um, investing our lives with Germans, helping them start churches and giving some leadership. Our time there lasted four years. It was, came clear in our third year that we needed to come back to the States. So when I moved back, I moved into my, I tell the story sometimes, at age 42, I had to move in with my mother-in-law. I would really significantly made it in life. That was evidence of that. Um, I love my mother-in-law. And I just started sending out resumes to churches and waited to just get leadership from the Lord as to what we needed to do. And honestly, during that time, my life felt a bit out of kilter. Um, that summer, as li- just living overseas changes you, and now you're back. Plus, in some ways, my heart was still in Germany, wanted to be there, but I knew that that door had shut and that God was going to need to do something moving forward. So again, I'm 42. I have five kids. The only thing that we own are clothes. We just have a bunch of suitcases in rooms at my mother-in-law's house. I have no job. I have no car. I have no car insurance because I have no car. I mean, I have, you know, at age 42, what you think you ought to have and a direction. And I was directionless at that time. So I began to wake up early in the morning, ask my mother-in-law at night, can I borrow your car? And I would go to coffee shops early in the morning, open up my laptop and look important. I have come to learn because of my experience that when you walk into coffee shops today and people have their laptop open, they're not all employed. (laughs) Some of them are looking for jobs like I was. I looked the part. Well, just as David shared a while ago, probably about five or six weeks into our time back and God just not opening any door, this website came up for this church in McKinney, Texas. And so so I, uh, I think, uh, initially sent a resume um, I think David lied a little bit a while ago, but um, he didn't know the, he didn't lie. He didn't know the full story, so I did. But that later that afternoon, phone calls began happening, and the guy that was keeping what was the church that had fallen apart was somebody back in my youth ministry days when I used to travel some as a youth minister and speak at youth camps. We did a conference together, and, and God did something on a Saturday morning in Corpus Christi with this guy and I all these years ago. You know that you, you do know there's no coincidences. God is uniquely involved in our lives. And so my resume lands in Sam Douglas's hand, who he and I had been a part of a really significant youth ministry moment in Corpus Christi in the early 90s. And so he, he immediately called me and we began a conversation. Uh, Pam's brother lived here in McKinney at the time. And so we hadn't seen them in four years. And so we were coming down. And so Sam said, why don't you come and preach? And he said, but I got to tell you, this thing here is a mess. And just want you to know, but we'd love for you to come. And we'd love to talk to you about being the pastor. And I don't know if I'm, I know there's children in the room. I don't know if I'm an idiot or not. Sometimes I am. But what David said a while ago was true. It was undeniable to us. The church came and said, we have, I, know, I know you have a wife and five children, and we can't offer you any money at all. Um, but will you come and be our pastor? <clears throat> I was talking to a church in Missouri that had six staff members, property, buildings, and all of that, and it just became clear that I ought to do 
the humanly unwise thing and moved to McKinney where there was no job other than showing up and preaching initially on Sunday morning. And so we did that. So on August the, I think it was August the 6th, um, I came and preached August 26th, I think it was, or somewhere, somewhere in there. Um, we were actually living in McKinney at that time in a quick pace uh, of, of being a part of what now is called Life Point Fellowship and experiencing some unique things. I want to tell you some factors of God's leadership in bringing us here that I think are important, and I think there's some lessons in this before we begin to walk through the text. My call was to return to the USA, but I did not want to. No one was interested in contacting me after about 100 resumes were sent out. I didn't have a future, no car, no home, no local doctors. Um, We were about to have to put our kids into school. Um, Plus, I had the good fortune of the only church interested in me as one who couldn't pay me. And so that was the only one that was interested in me. Um, And it was a church that had gone through something pretty traumatic that summer. And they didn't even know if they wanted to move forward or not. We're just praying through that, but we're just being faithful in the moment. Again, Pam's brother was here. I show up at Evans Middle School. Yeah, I think I did write that down here uh, on uh, Evans Middle School on August the 3rd and not having a clue about what we were about to get into. Four weeks later on October the 31st, Labor Day weekend, I preached my first official sermon as pastor of this church of what was known as Fellowship of Stonebridge at that time. That very first Sunday with children, five of which belonged to me. We had 34 people at Evans Middle School on that Sunday morning. Um, We kept the old thing alive until October the 26th of 2008, and the name LifePoint Fellowship um, began, and we began to to head in a new direction um, with the church. That first year was an unbelievable struggle. It was still up in the air um, as to whether or not the church was going to make it, Can you believe that? They brought me on, and it was still a struggle after a year. Um, I was working full-time for a company that put prisons in, uh, phone phones in federal prisons. So I worked in a call center. I got cussed out every single day. It was a good experience for me, for what some of you living in the secular world have to experience and deal with with people. And so I did that for a while And Pam and I have now been married 35 years and six months, and this is the longest we have ever lived, 15 years. And I'm guessing at this point we're staying. That's what I'm guessing at this point. Well, there are just lots of stories that I could tell. Um, The time, uh, just briefly mention a few, and then we're going to get into the text, and I want to remind us why we do what we do. There was the time Rocky and I, Rocky's back there, we were digging a trench over here that we had rented a backhoe, and Rocky busted up the sewer line that goes to the lodge over here, and and we had to wait for plumbers to come. It was freezing cold all day. Um, I remember a time when Rocky and Wren and myself, and I don't remember who else was here, we got the scaffolding up back here, that last wagon wheel light up there, the chain was too long. And we had to 
they, they climbed up there, and I'm nervous. Mark Donahoe was our insurance agent, church insurance at the time. And I'm like, if he walked in here, we are in trouble. And I'm sitting down, and they're up there flipping that and shortening the chain on that thing on something that was just shaking like this. And so, um, so I, remember, I remember that moment. Um, I remember um, from 2010 to 2016 that I was out here Monday through Friday by myself. Um, I was the only staff person. Um, we used to have a female turkey that walked from the tree line back here and would come to that right there by the fireplace, that door, and would stand there and look at herself in the window. And so I would write sermons watching her. She would come almost every single day, and I would get to watch her admire herself. And um, those of you who live in the subdivision, we're glad you're a part of our church, but you took my turkey away from me. Okay? Um, And so uh, incredibly grateful that in April of whenever that was, seven years ago, that the Verlanders came to be a part of our church not much longer. Uh, Martha joined our staff here. And um, I look back in the back somewhere is Mike Sisko. There's Mike Sisko back there. Uh, The children's building over there is Pier and Beam, most of it. And over a period of time, um, we had skunk smell in our children's building. Do you all remember that, skunk smell in our children's building? Well, in the wintertime, they found out, oh, warmth. And so the skunks would get underneath the kids' building over there. And so over a period of about three years, Mike trapped and traps 32 skunks. 32 skunks. So we began to call him the skunk whisperer. And so my fear of spiders has been fixed working out here. Um, I'm not as afraid of them uh, as, it, uh, as I once was. And, but I can just think back on a number of different uh, moments, little moments like that, and some significant ones that I will share um, as we walk through this. So if you would look with me, I'm just going to point out um, some things uh, that I think are important for us, that are really key things for us in our church, and reminders that I think are important Um, This book of Romans is such an important theological piece. And for much of this book, leading up all the way to chapter 12, Paul is really giving, yes, practical things, but really giving deep theological things, things of substance and significance. But when you get to chapter 12 and 13 and 14 and 15, there's much more practical instances about it. And one of the most beautiful instructions of what the local church ought to be about is found in Romans chapter 15. And so there are six things I want to just briefly remind you and I about in, 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 or maybe freshly um, help us remember what we ought to be about that are really important. And the first point is just simply this, is I want to talk about for a moment the church's unique considerations, and it's just in verse 1. So look with me again, please, for a moment in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation, in other words, a responsibility to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So here's one of the realities in every local church. There are those who have been in the faith for a really long time. And then there are those who maybe came out of a a different church background or maybe they've just been Christians for a little while and they're not further as further along in the faith 
They love Jesus. They're reading the Bible just like the stronger one is. But they're just not at that place where there's wisdom from walking in obedience with the Lord. And so the scripture here, uniquely Paul says this, is that there's a unique consideration that happens inside of a church. So here's what that looks like. Those of us who have been walking with the Lord for a really long time, not that we're perfect, but we have grown and there's some understanding about things, have a responsibility with those who are newer in the faith or weaker in the faith to help teach and correct and lead them in the right direction. And so Paul just here says this: there's a responsibility that those who have been in the faith for a while, they are to deny themselves for the good of those who are newer in the faith, who are learning more in the faith. And so Paul uses the word strong here, this word strong. We who are strong is a word that means in the Greek, someone who is capable or someone who is competent. These are the kind of people that you want to make sure that are in leadership. They are capable and competent to be able to teach certain things. And then he says... They have an obligation, and this Greek word um, literally means this, to owe somebody something. They owe others in the church to help them grow to a deeper understanding about who God is, how do we worship Him, how do we do family, what about this doctrine, how do I understand this text that I'm reading, how do I relate, how do I serve... All of those things, there's a responsibility, an obligation that we owe to those that are newer in the faith to come alongside them and to help them and to encourage them. And I love what Paul says here. So those who are strong, who are capable and competent, have an obligation, a responsibility they owe to the others to bear them. That's what this word is. They have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. This word bear literally means to pick up something and to carry it. It's used in the New Testament in in a number of different ways. It's pictured in Mark chapter 14 of carrying a pitcher of water. In Acts 21, 35, it's used carrying a man. John 19, 17, it's used of Jesus when he carried the cross. And in Acts 15, 10, It means to have an obligation and to carry forth that obligation to others. The idea here is not to bear with someone, but to bear up someone. And that's the idea that Paul is getting here, that one of the unique things about the local church is it's not just, oh, I've got to... I, I, I got to tolerate that. I got to got to bear with. No, the idea is no. Let's bear one another up. We come alongside and we lift one another up. And throughout our history, have we not needed that? Through sickness and illness and death and and all different kinds of things, we have needed that in the history of our church. And so, there's a consideration to those that are mature in the faith. They have a responsibility. They owe it to those that are weaker in the faith to help carry the weight and to carry them along. I thought about that this week. I thought about um, tonight. We're going to show a video tonight from the very beginning all the way up until just a couple of weeks ago um, and, and just looking at just kind of the history through pictures about what's there. And, 
And I remember those early years, and some of you were doing it before I came. And if you've never done this before, um, it's work. Having a church in a trailer is work. And showing up every Sunday morning. Yeah, this was, amen, that's right. Showing up every Sunday morning and going and picking it up. Y'all, don't, y'all, don't, y'all have no idea. But we used to keep the church trailer with all the expensive equipment at an apartment complex that didn't know that we had any more, still had our trailer at their apartment complex. And one day they called and said, um, will you please come get this? We realized. And so we had to find a place to, to move that. But just we used to have to do that. And it was hard work. And sometimes um, we had to remind each other, particularly those first two years that I was here, that it was worth it because it was hard. It was really, really hard from 2008 to 2010 until we came out here. It was difficult. And so sometimes we just, as a church and as Christians, this is what we do. We've got to get to the place where it's not a bearing with, but it's a let's bear up with one another and continue to lift one another up. And then he uses the phrase here, the failings of the weak. And this word just literally means they just put an A in front of the same word that we who are strong. And it just literally means this, those that are without strength, who are powerless and are incapable. And the key thing that Paul says here is this responsibility is for this reason, is that we would, those that are strong, we would not come to church to please ourselves, to get recognition for ourselves, but our our mission would be to think of others. And so Paul says, those of you who are strong in the faith and further along in the faith, you have an obligation, you owe it to those who are weaker in the faith to bear up with them and to bear up with them. And the only way that you can do that is to come to church not thinking about yourself. Now this is the dominant mindset of our culture today. Number one, look out for number one. You're the answer to your future. And Paul, 2,000 years ago, writing to the church in Rome, says, no, you who are strong and have maturity in your faith and have walked with Christ for a long time and you have learned things, you are to bear up with others and you have an obligation with them to help them, those who are weak and struggling, and you do this by not living to please yourself. I thought of the goodness of our staying together this week and, 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 and seeing this history in the life of our church. And I thought of two particular areas where I think there's application here. For many of our kids that are here in the room this morning, um, this is pretty much all that they have known about church. For some of you, I went to a hospital, and you were one or two days old, and I took you in my arms, if your parents let me, and I sat in a chair, and I held you, and I looked in your face, and I prayed over you. And I have been praying for you for, if I got to do that, um, since that moment up until today, I've been praying for um, our, our children. Um, you don't get those moments as a pastor if you don't stay. And for me, um, that's one of the beautiful things that I've been here for 15 years now is I have moments like that uh, to think about uh, my relationship with you all. Another thing that we did, and Martha, I don't even know how long ago it was now, but it's kind of all that we know now, 
is years and years ago, I'd gotten fed up with Vacation Bible School. Not that there's anything wrong with Vacation Bible School. And I had this crazy idea um, as I was out here by myself um, uh, during a period of time is, why don't we just, I can't say those words, but kill VBS, but I will say it. I guess I'll say it. Um, And let's do something different. And so my idea was this. Why don't we teach our teenagers to invest their lives back into the elementary kids at the church? And so we started something called Ignite. And one of... um, I don't, I don't ever really know what you think about my sermon. That's not, that's not my responsibility is what do you think about that. My responsibility is to study hard, preach what God has given me. Um, but but my, some of my best Sundays are is I'm usually one of the last people um, out of here is, is to look around the room. And, and I see this now. We've, we've been here long enough now that we've had kids who are now young adults that are a part of the church. And I love seeing young adults who have poured their life into other kids. And you've got a young adult that's about 25. You've got a high school student that that young adult has taught and poured their life into. You've got a high school uh, and middle school student talking to that young adult now. And then you've got an elementary age kid who comes up and talks to all three of them. And you'll see that in this room not necessarily every Sunday, but you'll see it many times. And I'll get into my tundra and I will drive home and my heart is full when I see that. That there is a generational aspect of what we are doing. And you only do that when the mindset is that those who are mature invest their lives into those that are weaker and younger. Secondly, Paul writes in verse 2, And this is different. The first one is the strong carry the weaker. The second one kind of sounds like the first one, but it's different. It's for everyone. First one's for those that are mature, been in the faith for a while, to bear up those. Verse 2 says, let each of us, so this is for everybody in the church, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So, So now Paul's saying, not just the leaders have this mindset, but everybody in the church is to have this kind of mindset that when we show up, we're not going, who's going to please me today? But we show up thinking, who can I encourage today? Who can I love? Who can I find out what's going on, what's happening in their life? And what can I do to put myself down? And what can I do to make sure that I'm doing good and building up other people? So this is a call for everyone from Paul in the church to give a greater consideration to everyone else other than self. So the idea is we are not to accommodate ourselves. We are to make sure that we are accommodating other people in the body of Christ. So when Paul says here, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, he's not saying everybody in the church needs to be a people pleaser. No, no. For Paul writes about people pleasers in Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So this is not a call to make sure that we're 
pleasing everybody else. No, this is a call to make sure that we are building up everyone else and not pleasing ourselves and crucifying ourselves and making sure that other people's needs are met. And so the church has an obligation to live for the good of others. You know, the other church did this really, really well. Do you remember what's said about them? Listen to these words, Acts 4, 32. Now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So, again, going back to this idea that the church is to be different, um, our American culture encourages us to make sure that we are looking out for number one, making sure that, that we are getting what we feel like we deserve and the attention that we are, um, whatever the case may be, whether it's we deserve or we ought, we ought to get. But I want to remind you and I that we are all related to one another, every one of us, if Jesus is our Savior. And as a family of God, the idea here from Paul is, is that we deeply desire to do good to one another. And I thought about through the years what that has looked like at LifePoint. Life groups, some of y'all have no clue what it used to be like. We moved out to this building here. Do you remember who used to clean the church? Life groups did. We used to put all the life groups on a rotation, and you would have to show up once every six, seven, eight, ten weeks, however many life groups, and you'd have to show up here, and we would check you out on Sunday morning if you hadn't done well. Um, in some ways, I'll be honest with you, we hire somebody now to do that, and some of you are like, yeah, that's better. I don't know if it's better. Now, I, overall, I'm glad I don't have to come up here sometimes on Saturdays, but I tell you what, those are some memory moments of us cleaning together that you can't get back. That, are, that were really, really good. And so we used to do that together for the good of the church. Um, the Taylor family, when we moved back, we owned nothing. We had nothing but clothes. And we first moved here, we rented a house in Ridgecrest right there off 380. And all of our furniture for about the first three years of our life was stuff that people from the church brought to our house. We still have some of those pieces at our house. My wife would like to get rid of them because they are quite old now. But some of them I can't get rid of, and I'll tell you why. Because every time I walk by, I am reminded that 15 years ago, people in this body cared enough for our family to bring their trash to our house. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. Yeah. But we were incredibly grateful because I didn't, again, um, I didn't have any money to buy anything new. And we just, from time to time, for about the first six months, we'd have knocks on the door and somebody would be there and say, Hey, do you have something like this? And we would go, No, we don't. And they would bring it in and it would be a, become a part of our family. I don't know how many meals that we have made for one another to care for one another when somebody's had a baby or been in the hospital or been sick. Countless times of packing up the trailer and unloading it and loading it. Um, We have something that we do here that you may not know about, um, but uh, 
make sure that, I, that you do know about it. We have something common, called the Common Good Fund, and it's based out of Acts 4.32 that I just read a while ago. So 1% of what's given every Sunday, we set it aside in a, in a fund where we help people of the church um, pay their electric bill or pay a car payment. We've paid mortgage payment when people have lost job and we've been able to, to keep people in their houses. We've gotten $500 Walmart cards so that, so that families could feed their kids and be taken care of. And we have done that um, through the years over and over. Um, I thought of this, this week, one of my favorite things about our mission trips when we go internationally is those who drive us to the airport and pick us up at the airport and bring us back home. See, the church lives obligated to do good to one another. Thirdly, Paul says that we have this great consideration, and we do this, we live this way, to build up, bear up, build up, do good to others, because we have a model, we have someone who modeled what this looks like. So the church's great consideration is to see Jesus as our model. So look at verse 3. For Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. This is a direct quote from Psalm 69, verse 9. that says, For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Jesus is the supreme example and the example for the church of what it looks like to not live to please yourself, but to live to please others. Jesus did this in two primary ways. One, Gospel of John. Over and over, Jesus would say, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what my Father says. I see where my Father is at work, and I join my Father. And so Jesus constantly in His life was, no, not what was His agenda today, but what was the Father's agenda, and Jesus would get connected to that. So Jesus is the example of living to please His Father. Secondly, Jesus is an example of of one who gave His life not to please Himself, but to give His life as a ransom for many. He laid His life down. So this phrase here in verse 3, for Christ did not please Himself, Spurgeon wrote of this verse. This is an amazing quote. Jesus took the most trying place in the whole field of the battle. He stood where the fray was hottest. He did not seek to be among his disciples as a king is in the midst of his troops, guarded and protected in the time of strife. But he exposed himself to the fiercest part of all the conflict. And what Jesus did That should we who are His followers do. Not one of us considering Himself and His own interests, but all of us considering our brethren and the cause of Christ in general. Jesus didn't give Himself partly. He gave Himself completely. This is a mark of maturity. That our great example is not me. It's not somebody else in the room. Our great example is one. It is Christ. And reading about Him and learning about Him and seeing what He's like in the Gospels is so important for us. And so the text just says it's written about Him that Christ didn't live to please Himself. 
And it says this, and the reproaches or the, the vile things that were said about God, those things fell on Jesus. And so this, this, this phrase, reproach, means insults that are unjustifiable. They're verbal abuse that are inflicted by others. And so Jesus experienced that. And then it says, and, and so the reproaches, the insults, fell on, that were there, fell on him, and he carried those. The reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. And so there's a, a great consideration that we as the people called Life Point, we have one model, and that's Jesus. And what did our one model teach us? We don't live to please ourselves. We, love to, we live to bear up, to build up, and to continually fix our eyes upon Him. There's a great verse in Hebrews. Let me read it. Hebrews 13, 13. Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach that He endured. For here, here's why we do that. We identify ourselves with who He is. For here, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So we have no home here that's going to last. This is where we are for now. This is the allotted time and the boundaries in the period in which God has us here to live in Collin County at this particular point in time. And for those of you who don't live in Collin County, who come to our church, we have a prize for you after church today for the travels that you make. And and we're grateful that you are part of our church. So here we don't have a lasting city, but we have a longing for a city that is to come. And so here's what we do. Through Him, then let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, lips that consistently acknowledge His name. Hebrews 13, 16, And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So He's our model. That's why Sunday after Sunday, what do we do? We talk about who? Jesus. We talk about Him. We sing about Him. Yes to the glory of the Father. Yes to the glory of the Spirit. And yes to the glory of the Son. But Christ became our model of what this looks like to not live for yourself. Fourthly is in verse 4. There must be in the church a great love of the Scripture. Verse 4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So if the strong are going to be a resource to the weaker, guess what the strong have to know? they got to know the mind of Christ. How do you know the mind of Christ? By reading the Scripture. And so watch this. I love this. And I know I've mentioned this before, but it's, it's worth mentioning again. There's a big downplay today about the Old Testament. There should not be a downplay about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the prep the preparation for us to understand the glory and the wonder of when God Himself would come and and Jesus was here. And so I want you to watch Paul, who wrote 13 
of the 27 New Testament books. Half of the book of Acts is about his ministry. He wrote, I think I looked at it this this week, 87 chapters. And notice what Paul does here in a New Testament, Christ dying, Christ rising, Christ being exalted, going, seated, finished work. In that setting, the Apostle Paul says, the Old Testament holds such hope for us to understand our faith. And those things, Paul says, were written down as an instruction for us. And I, and I thought this week as I was writing this, I thought about how, how cool it must have been to watch Paul just unfold the scrolls and to read and to read and then to take out another scroll and to write Ephesians or some other book and then to open up another scroll and to read and to find Christ. He could not get enough of Christ because he had this great love of the Scripture. The New Testament was being written. It wasn't written yet. He didn't have this. And so they would pour their lives into the Old Testament text, seeing the glory of Jesus. And then they began to write these New Testament texts that have had such an impact upon us. Now, Paul here says there are three things that the Scripture does in a church. It creates endurance, encouragement, and it gives hope. This word uh, endurance is a Greek word, hupomone, and it means to stay, abide, remain under, to stay committed. It's a picture of somebody who remains steady under a weight of something. And they're just, they just cling and they hold fast and they endure. And as they endure, God is at work in their endurance. And what does that work of God do in their endurance? It encourages them that if I will walk and be obedient to God, He is always at work. And so the endurance produces encouragement that produces the third thing, that we would have hope. Boy, you look at our American culture today, and you don't see hope anywhere. It's brokenness. You look over in the Middle East and what's happening there, and it just is so broken and hopeless and confusion and and anger and all kinds of things just everywhere, all people groups all over the world. And the church has the one thing that a broken, confused world needs more than anything else. And that is the people of God who through endurance find great encouragement that the Scripture's true, that it works. And it reminds us that we have a hope that this is not our lasting city. That there is one that we can trust and believe in. So I wanted to point out today, um, outside of this thing here, this is everything that I have written in 15 years at LifePoint is represented over here. I was a little disappointed when I looked at how much have we really studied, and we really we've we've not we've we've not even walked through well we've we've barely we've barely walked through 11 books of the 66 books. So that means i got to stay alive for a long time. <laughs> and what that actually means is we're never going to get there. Is that not amazing that in a lifetime that there's not a way for a pastor 
in detail like we do things here to ever get through, to ever get through it. So there's an example of just what we've done in 15 years and the things that I've spoken on Wednesday nights and mission trips and, and here on Sunday morning. Um, quite a while back, we started something called the W4, and we have done over, well over half the books of the Old Testament and the New Testament um, with that, and we have just continued to do so many things, um, so many great accomplishments in regard to just being faithful and true to the Scripture. Look at the fifth thing So we wind this down. So you may think, well, this sounds familiar. Why does Paul keep repeating himself? So here's the word endurance and encouragement again. So may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Hey, Mark, I forgot something. Um, Somewhere maybe on my desk or it's on your laptop is all of those missional things that we typed out. Can you go grab that? Because I'm going to need that in a minute. Sorry. I think it's on my desk. It's on your laptop. This is the first mistake I've ever made in my life. (laughs) I think it's on top of my desk. I think, uh, I don't know, maybe not. I just saw that. I'm supposed to say something, and I don't have any of that stuff I'm supposed to say. It's on another piece of paper, but anyway. All right. So let's, let's begin to wind this down. Romans 15.4 says this, God's word is our source of endurance and encouragement that leads to hope. Now in verse 5, it says, God's nature is that of endurance and encouragement that he grants to us. And so we get these things, thank you, we get these things from the scripture, but we mainly get them because God is endurance. God is encouragement. So Paul writing here to the church says, the scripture is going to give you encouragement. But you're going to get that encouragement because God himself is endurance and encouragement. So may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. And so the church has this harmony together that is connected with loving one another caring for one another, and it's in line, Paul says here, in accordance with Jesus. I've never been there. I've always admired it from a distance, but you probably have seen it, and some of you have been there. But the giant sequoia trees in California that are huge and they grow really tall, their root system, watch this, if, if you find a sequoia tree out by itself somewhere, it, it's going to eventually fall over. The reason they grow so tall together is their roots don't go deep. They kind of go out this way and they intertwine with one another. And they're so connected with one another that when the winds and the floods and the rains come, that they are connected together with one another, united with one another in a powerful way so that when the storm comes, they've got a support system that helps them endure and encourages them. And the only way to live with this one mind is to know the mind of Jesus and to line up in accordance with Jesus. And the only way that we do that, again, is to going back to, we've got to know the Scriptures. I thought back 
over things in our history that some of you don't know about um, because they've happened a long time ago, but they were really, really important things. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Jesus. We have been there for one another. I remember in Larry Metcalf's life that we thought things were really, really good, and then we got bad news a little bit later, and we walked with the Metcalfs through that, and Larry went on ahead of us. Thought of Dave Dominoski and, and his battle with things. Um, we have fought for marriages. We have fought for wayward, wayward children. Um, we prayed over and over and supported the Phillips as they kept going back and forth to Ukraine and Ukrainian government. Think our government's bad? Go to Ukraine pre-Russian war and they will delay things, right? Kara and Ryan, they will delay. But I remember, do you remember what it was like when Caroline finally came back here and we had prayed and and just the, the beauty of that, of standing with them and, you know, Kara having to stay there and wait and, and just a number of different things. Barbara, is it okay if I share about you? So Barbara Currents down here. Um, some of y'all don't know the Currences. They're really important people. They live half the year in New Mexico in the mountains and then half the year with us uh, here in the Metroplex. But, but Barbara's just found out that she's got melanoma. They think that they've caught it. And so we are now have a live example right here of somebody that we're going to walk with. We're going to be a giant sequoia tree um, in their lives. And we could tell story after story. Some of you could stand up of how we've been there with one another, the Gutierrez family, um, during y'all's loss and during that time. And so uh, this, is, this is life. This is, this is what church is. And it will continue to be this way. Lastly, is what Paul says in 6 and 7. And it's the church's unity to glorify God. So he writes in 6, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, you welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This phrase together is used in the book of Acts 11 times. And it's a great description of the first century church's unity with one another. It's kind of the same uh, way that if, you, if Mark were to play and, you know, through the years, Mark, I, don't you love Mark Donahoe? I do. I love Mark Donahoe. I love that our worship leader um, is not a flashy star. He's humble. He's deeply humble and he loves God and he loves God's word and I love how he leads us. But occasionally through the years, he's hit a wrong chord and you can hear it. And if you've ever played piano or you played an instrument, you'll be playing along and if you hit a different chord, it, it, it's, it's got this dissonant sound. You're like, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't fit. He hasn't done it a lot, but... We've all heard it, right? We've all heard it. (laughs) That's what this verse means. It means that when you do play the right chords, what does it sound? Beautiful. It's amazing. And that's what Paul's calling us here, is that we would have the mindset that there would be a unity that what the church is to be about is to glorify God. God.
We are to glorify him. The church is unity to glorify him. Let me just share a couple things that I think are really important for us. We have taken 57 mission trips in 15 years. That represents, Mark and I talked Thursday afternoon, how do you say this? I don't know how to say it. That represents 18, not 18, 822 spots that people have gone on trips. Now, some of that is multiple people, those 822. But we've gone on 57 uh, mission trips. We have, uh, we have um, supported lots of mission work overseas and even here locally. Um, we have two buffalo farms that are starting because of what happened uh, this summer. Um, we have built churches in two places in Asia where the gospel had never been. There are church buildings there, churches meeting, people, people being baptized in unreached places. One we've not even been able to go to because it's, it's too hard to get to. But there's a church that's meeting um, by the Nepal-China border. They met yesterday in a church, in a, in a church that you and I helped fund, start, and, and to, to get going there. Let me finish with this. So, in August of 2010, myself and Keith and Garrett and Caleb and Mike got on a plane and we flew to Ukraine. When I got on the plane, there was, I think, $800 in the church's bank account. I mean... That's basically zero. If you don't know anything about, that's nothing, that's nothing, church is in trouble. So you might ask, well, why are you going on a mission trip? Well, God told us to go, and when God tells you to go, what do you do? You go, and you've got to be obedient. So when we got on the plane, one of our conversations was, when we get back, is there going to be any money left to even do Life Point Fellowship anymore? So we had gone to do a youth camp in Ukraine. And so we all stayed together with a translator in our, in, our, in our, I don't know where we stayed at. I don't ever want to stay there again. It's the worst place I've ever slept. Um, I felt unsafe and diseased around me and all that stuff. Um, but we did this youth camp. We took baths by getting in a river that wasn't too far from Chernobyl. Um, uh, that, that was your option or there was a spigot about this high and you would bathe out of the spigot. And so finally I was just like, okay, okay, Lord, I'm getting in the river. So I would get in the river and, um, and I would soak myself up in the Chernobyl river. I don't know. I don't know what river it was called, but anyway. So the last night of the camp, I woke up and I started thinking about here. Cause if you ever go on a trip, you have to do what? You have to come back home <laughs> You don't just get to stay there. And so, so I woke up. It's probably about 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm guessing. And Mike and Caleb and Keith, I'm assuming they were asleep, although now I know Mike never sleeps, so Mike might have been awake. But I walked out, and I got into the middle of a soccer field. And I just cried out to God, talking to myself. I don't know if anybody was around. They would have gone, what's wrong with him? And, and I cried, and I prayed, 
And I just basically said this to God. God, you are going to have to do something because we have proven we can't keep this together after two years. So I go back, lay down. I can't really remember if I fall back asleep again. I get up and get in the Chernobyl River and bathe again one last time for Ukraine's sake. And so we got back on a Sunday night. And uh, I remember meeting Kristen was at the airport. Pam was there. I don't remember who else were there to come pick us up. And there was nobody there to answer my question. How was the offering last Sunday? Um, Well, on Monday morning, I get a phone call. And uh, it's it's from the guy that was the pastor of this building here. And their ministry owned this and said, our church is kind of falling apart this summer, and we're going to shut the church down. Are y'all interested in the building? And I thought, well, yeah, but we have no money, because I did find out on Monday morning we didn't have any money. I was supposed to get paid in about four days, and there wasn't going to be enough. I was getting paid by that time two years in, a little bit. And I said, I'll tell you what. I just got in. I'm jet-lagged really bad, but can I come out tomorrow and meet with you? And so I came out, and I met with Jeff. He walked me around the property. There used to be an upstairs up here. Um, We used to, you think you have it bad now. We had two restrooms. One was upstairs, and one one was right here, and one was right up there, and men and women had to share it. So, anyway... So we're like, we need, we, you know, that, that's the way it was. And so um, this building wasn't perfect. <clears throat> and so what happened was this, is we came to the church, to those of you who may remember this, we came to you and said, let's start meeting. We met in the firehouses all over McKinney. You used to rent out rooms in the firehouses. And, and we, we gathered and we prayed. We did that for five weeks. And we were going to come on a Sunday morning and everybody was going to have a piece of paper and they were going to write a number down there. This is what I'm going to start giving per month. And if we reached that number, then we would move forward. And if we didn't reach that number, we were probably going to shut the thing down. And it had been a hard, hard two years. We had $2,000 over what we needed pledged. And so in about three weeks, we started meeting here. And so I, I want you to know that story this morning in case you don't and you're getting connected here at LifePoint. Again, there are a lot of good churches in the Metroplex you could go to. A lot of really good ones. Great preaching. Great music. Great youth. All that. But you're here. And you're here because I think in the middle of a field in Ukraine... God answered my prayer. I asked him, God, would you do something? And God did it. And so we're here today moving forward, making it 15 years. Because, listen to this, our God is real. He's alive. And he answers prayer. And so that's just a brief synopsis. But what teaching from Paul in Romans 15 about what church ought to be and what it ought to look like. And we've been that. We've been that. We're not always going to agree. 
We've proven that. We're going to see things differently. We're going to gather in this room in the years to come and there's going to be weddings. Some of y'all are going to fall in love and you're going to get married here. And we're going to gather. We're going to go to one another's funerals. We've already done that. We'll continue to do that. We'll visit each other in the hospital. And we will do this. We will gather here in this room. And we will magnify the king. And we will tell his word and tell his story and call people to walk with him. So it's worth it. All the yuck, all the middle ground, and all the wondrous things, it's all worth it. Because eventually when this life is over with, um, we're going to have to give an account for our faithfulness. So why not be faithful here? and to be obedient walking with Him. I love you, love every one of you, Um, the new ones and the old ones. Us old ones, 15-year old ones, we've made it here. We don't know about tomorrow, we don't know about tonight, but we've made it here, and we've tasted the goodness of God. We've tasted it. Right, Keith? We have done so. All right, let's pray.